listeners and welcome to another episode of the I Am The Night podcast where we break down every episode week by week of the legendary Batman the Animated Series. It's a bumper episode today because it's a double episode in more ways than one because we get two times the action, two times the thrills and two times the scares with the origin of the one and only Two-Face. With me uh, this week, as always, is my son and fellow Dark Knight News and DC Comics news writer, Adam Ray. Hello, mate. Hello. Pleasure to be back talking about the the villain that summarises being split in the mind and split in the mm. face. Uh, another personal favourite done perfectly in this story. And it's really bold to see a really dark origin. But given the proper due diligence to be split over two episodes here, right at the beginning of the series... Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever remember experiencing a cartoon show with a two-part episode. That was always something that happened in big dramas or or big uh, storylines in your major TV shows, like your detective shows, your police shows, and your comedies. So to see it in a cartoon, I think, is quite unusual. It just goes back to something I've been talking about with this show a lot. It's the show's ambition. It's comparing itself to big, high-stakes TV like that, giving itself the credibility to split itself over two stories and even start the second part of this two-part blockbuster with a little summary like you'd get in other TV shows, but not as forceful of heavy-handed to explain why Harvey Dent was feeling the way he was and why it led to his gruesome transformation. It just showed the final dramatic moments of that episode going into the second but let's talk back to the beginning about how we got to this mess with our dear friend the district attorney oh it's so well written well paced and well dramatized with the opening sequence of harvey's nightmare um which is mirrored in part two but we'll come to that harvey's nightmare of, of running down the street away from we don't know who or what until he gets to the end of an alleyway and sees a shadowy figure who then steps into the light, puts his hand into the light and flips the coin. The coin we saw him flipping right at the beginning when this series started and we were so stunned to see Harvey and we realised that the thing he's most afraid of is himself. A reasonable thing to be afraid of for most people, but for him more than usual because of the way certain sides of his personality has manifested, it's led to something to be feared and we see him waking up in a cold sweat, uh, reasonably so. It's quite scary to have that side of yourself that you just can't trust. And so brilliantly directed by Kevin Altieri. We've said it before, definitely one of the most brilliant directors for this show. And um, again, it's not shot or directed or paced like a cartoon. It is a drama. It's a big theatrical TV blockbuster of a show, which just happens to be animated. It has all of the makings of a psychological pulp thriller because yeah. we see similar sort of themes that you'd get out of something from Alfred Hitchcock, to be honest. The fear Absolutely. of the unknown, the fear of the self. It's bold television to be putting on for Saturday mornings. Absolutely. I mean, and with the opening scenes where Harvey wakes up and he gets called to, uh, to the scene with Gordon and the police to raid uh, to, to to raid a, a drug den and it's a something that harvey's been planning with the police for months and months and of course uh batman intervenes but even the intro of batman in this episode it, again it's yet another aspect of the character where he's literally just 
some eyes in the shadows and a hand grabbing a hoodlum and throwing him out the window. You'd actually properly see Batman until halfway through the episode. He comes in like a spectre, like a figure in the night, like a shadow, and that's yet another aspect of the character shown shown in the spotlight and it's so amazing to see that they keep bringing different sides of the Batman personas they did that for a couple of reasons I would say as a someone who would write this kind of story they did that to show that Batman is this unknowable figure of fear mm. so much so that when it got to the point where the doors opened the bad guys all ran out in fear yeah. of any injury and fear of whatever was lurking in the shadows Absolutely. but more importantly Yes, this is a show about Batman, but this episode and the, both of these episodes are not about Batman. So we didn't want the early scenes to be dominated by Batman. They wanted the focus to go on with Harvey as we see him battling with his own lack of control of his own anger. Exactly that. And in showing again um, the dichotomy of, of both Harvey and Batman, because one thing the whole Batman universe is centered around is that whole aspect of duality, the darkness and light the yin and the yang good and the evil order and chaos whether it be batman and joker whether it be the 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 bat signal breaking the darkness whether it be harvey and his inner anger finally broken loose in that split personality the whole uh, aspect of duality in batman is is rife and it's so well handled in this episode i think it is um there's a great levels of duality handled between both episodes but we can cover those as big sweeping brushstrokes because a lot of things that remind me of some of the bigger Hollywood media is sort of mirrored in this episode. And we yes. can see where people like Christopher Nolan may have taken some inspiration because Ooh. the yeah. scenes involving Bruce Wayne helping out his dear friend to try and promote his name as he's getting re-elected very much rings true of Aaron Eckhart and Christian Bale in The Dark Knight. Just a grand party only for... A, sign, a sliver of madness to make things come undone but instead of Heath Ledger's Joker it's Harvey Dent flying off the handle again yeah. we get another moment where we start to feel some tractions building into something and we start to feel bad for the guy yeah absolutely and and, and the brilliant part of it is is um, you know me in most cases I'm a stickler and bordering on obsessive to sticking to the original source material but one thing that always bugged me about Harvey Dent and Two-Face in the original comics of of the 60s, 70s, 80s, the early era, was his main crime was against fashion with that orange and purple suit. <laughs> and this beautiful new version of Harvey, which we'll come to, is, is literally just the, the black and white. But also the fact that his origin to me, and um, a big shout out to my friend and former Dark Knight News writer, Stephen Conroy, a podcaster extraordinaire, who, like me, didn't quite get the whole courtroom thing and acid being splashed in the face, because whatever you cover your face with, that's going to melt too. Um, the origins of Two-Face and how he's deformed in Christopher Nolan's movies and in this episode, to me, just ring more true. Um, an explosion on one side of, of his body or falling into the petrol which with one side of his face and that side being burnt always struck me as a lot more than protecting his face with some kind of folder or notebook um, in a courtroom and the whole aspect of yeah some people would say yeah where's Boss Moroni this isn't right but um, historically in the comics there's been so many great gangsters Moroni 
um, Carmine Falcone. Uh, you've got um, Zuko, Tony Zuko. What they've done is they've gone back to the original big gangster of the comics, Rupert Thorne, um, created by Steve Englehart and Walt Simons and then brought to loving life by the artistry of Marshall Rogers in, in later episodes. But bringing that character as the one big bad street boss, crime boss for this show was a stroke of genius, I think. It's them showing a mastery and a knowledge of the bat canon that many fans would be pleasantly surprised by. It's like, wait, they made up another mob boss for this episode and they they making up another like a plucky young policewoman for this episode but when you go back and look at the comics oh this one's real yeah it's a pleasant surprise and it's a real respect that they can employ here that I think you had to have on this show being made by Warner Brothers aside you have to know such a layer of the bat canon to be able to make a Batman version this timeless Yes, but it's still to come across and see it. And making this choice was very well handled. And sure, anyone could sort of fill that role. It could have been your Maronis, your Falcones, your Zucos, but this other side, this other character, largely similar, sure, but was still a nice surprise to see someone not who the audience would expect. Absolutely, and obviously Zuko, uh, we'll get to see more of him in the Robin episodes. But Rupert Thorne. And again, the way he's portrayed, virtually identical to his comic book counterpart, but I also felt a little bit of uh, Marlon Brando's godfather there as well. Did you see that? Now that I think about it, yeah. We, obviously, we don't get the horrendous cotton ball accent. Unintelligible. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we're not going to go there. Um, we get gravitas yes. behind um, a very wealthy very untrustworthy businessman if you want to call them that and it's a nice thing to see that there's that kind of still gangland mafia-esque villains out there in a show that's largely been dominated by supervillains or very strange over-the-top mm. yes. kidnappers absolutely and that respect is shown again in the casting of, of Thorn with a veteran TV screen and animated actor John Vernon, who's rolled, I mean, as diverse as, as appearing in Knight Rider and in uh, <laughs> the Airplane movies. He's in Airplane 2 opposite Leslie Nielsen. And, and, and it's just such a brilliant voice performance where you can see that it's rich, it's deep. He's a man of business, but that dark side to him. And that's got to lead us, of course, to Richard Mole's performance as Harvey Dent and as Two-Face. He's done a wonderful job of course we credit heavily the excellent double voice work <sighs> of Kevin Conroy but we get yeah. two completely different voices here which is really highlighted in the scene in the psychiatrist's office I would say yeah definitely and many of the other scenes where we see the colour scheme around Harvey's shift from a, a soothing blue to a more the uh, vibrant and angry red we see that these two voices these two sides are completely different and there's one that should very easily be feared and that's the voice that persists through the rest of the series but we can also credit that to a great voice actor who's sort of seen unexpectedly throughout the series in oh, a nice way absolutely i'm so glad you brought the uh color shifts as well well noted because Again, it's that whole dichotomy and duality side of it where he's the cool, calm and collected Harvey Dent and it's all like subtle blues and the cooler colours and then 
when the rage breaks free and his, his whole face transforms even before he becomes two-faced in that beautiful scene like you said in the psychiatrist's office where the lightning flashes and, and for a glimpse yeah for a split second you see the other he's, face he's there and again Richard Mole what hasn't this guy done I mean even in Batman the Animated Series alone he's also the sarcastic back computer <laughs> you're a funeral <laughs> and um, Thomas Wayne himself he, he plays uh, Bruce Wayne's father I mean you can't get much more removed from Two-Face than those two <laughs> which is something I find quite interesting that we'll touch on again in a little while when we get to the second half of this story but first we see Harvey Dent struggle with his own humongous inner demon mm. and I don't want to say that this demon wins I think that there's a sort of an understanding sort of put across but with one where this big bad horse is slightly more in control I agree with the understanding part of it because throughout both episodes there are moments where you can see Harvey is trying to fight back and it's so beautifully directed that there's literally just moments where he literally, when Harvey tries to gain dominance or becomes dominant, he just turns his face. And you see the good, clear, unscarred side of Harvey's face. And just little subtle details like that which make these two episodes so stellar, I think. It's him handling the two sides of himself. It's him doing something that Bruce Wayne does very well and something that Bruce Wayne jokes about somewhere in this story as opposed to him succumbing and letting both halves fight over the same turf. It's about being able to manage the dichotomy, and he clearly doesn't, but that's what's been interesting about the character for so long. He's always had that struggle, and that's something that brings readers back to him. Absolutely, and, and always is the right term, because if you think... From the beginning of the episode, even before the transformation, which again, vintage comics readers and fans of Batman and Two-Face know is coming. But anyone watching from fresh might not have the slightest clue. But there's so many little drops and hints throughout the episode, like voted two times for, for DA. And when Bruce saying, um, you seem like you're in trouble and Harvey saying you don't yeah, know the half of it. it. It's little things like that. Again, the writing by Alan Burnett and Randy Rogel is, is superb absolutely superb it's them handling and foreshadowing the change that this classic character will ultimately go through and they're right in the middle of this two-part story we see the change and circling back to what you were saying a moment ago about the realism of a, of an explosion destroying one half of his body or Aaron Eckhart's one side of his face being burned not only is it more real than something in the courtroom where he tries to shield himself with paper or whatever, it's a lot more traumatic. Oh, yeah. That plus whatever multiple personality disorder, if you want to call it that, when you pair them together, that will lead to the trauma that would cause something like this. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the few little drips of realism we can get in our show about a man in a bat costume. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, in the original comics, it literally was mostly just the scarring by a criminal that tipped him over the edge, the, the introduction of the backstory of the bullied child and repressing his rage until he couldn't contain it anymore. I mean, it's it's like the classic stories of Jekyll and Hyde or even Marvel's own Incredible Hulk, where that rage came out eventually in a destructive, monstrous form. And it's a good lesson to everybody not to repress your rage, let it out, or it might take you over. It's an extreme case, but it's definitely something that could happen. And it's 
really particularly quite scary when you see it done in this story because the moment that this big bad half takes control, yeah. we see uh, Thorn pressing his buttons consistently, talking about his past, dredging up everything, looking through his medical records, retelling his story back to him, obviously for the sake of the audience's benefit, but doing it in a way to twist the knife deeper in Harvey. And you see the contorting rage and cold sweat dripping down his face. And then he stops. And then there's a moment of calm. Mm. And then we see that he's not been in control this entire time. And we start to feel truly scared of who this man is that we've seen in glimpses. We've seen Harvey, obviously, from the beginning of episode one. We rooted for Batman trying to pull him from the brink when he was poisoned by Poison Ivy. Yes. So seeing him go off the deep end relatively suddenly, just the focus of this episode, when we see this happen, we want this friend of Bruce Wayne's to be better, and he just isn't. Yeah. So much so that when he gets to the end of the episode and we see the state he's become, there with the woman he loves coming to see him, it's a departure. It's very powerful. Very powerful. And like we've both been saying um, throughout the course of this story, uh, really, really scary. I mean, what's scarier than the dark side of yourself you can't control? And that again leads me to, again, to the more brilliant direction by Kevin Altieri. Do you not feel that this entire episode is directed with the lightning and the rain and the darkness and thunder? It feels like a vintage horror movie more than a cartoon show. It's one. old literary tropes like that from your old gothic novels from the late 17s, early 1800s. It's the weather outside mirroring the struggle going on inside. Absolutely. The storm within. Yeah, and only when he's apprehended and we finally see him carted away at the end of the, episode, end of the story does that moment come back to a little bit of a piece. But he has to go through that after a while which is why this story was so big it couldn't simply be contained in one episode with the Saturday morning audience you would need to try and capture the things that led to Harvey Dent's change all in one episode and they do that perfectly in this first half they really do the pacing and the way the tension is built up bit by bit by bit and even little subtle things like when it cuts from one scene to Harvey's fundraiser. And you literally come into the room, not in a sweeping um, pan shot of the ballroom with all the guests gathered there, but a close-up scene of ice dripping into a puddle with some fruit on a table. And it's little things like that, again, which make it so cinematic. And you see that beautiful little serene little image and then slowly see Harvey loses composure and break from the core collected DA into the monster that's hiding within him and it's little touches like that it was more than just ice it was a giant ice sculpture of, of an lady angel. of of lady liberty oh wow yes. lady liberty she had the blindfold the sword and the scale Justice. but one half of her holding the sword was backwards to the wall the other half was split and towards the window wow there well, was lots there was lots of little Split imagery there throughout the episode. That so was one of the big even more ones. than I even noticed. Fantastic, oh. so well done. I don't have enough words to say how clever making the Two Face story the first two parter as well, and it literally goes from subtle hints through the first episode to blatant Two Face mania in episode two. Um, what did you make of, of, of the writing as well on, on the show? 
I enjoyed the fact that it was very clearly the second half of a story, but you could still follow it of yeah. this one villain on a rampage, but still finding his, his way to balance his own conscience. We start off, and one of the big notes I noticed was that until we hear a number, it's not clear how long a time has passed until we hear some reports saying six months or half a year. Yeah. A perfect length of time for absolutely Two-Face to be operating. We see Batman doing his detective work, being on the case for almost this entire time with himself looking haggard with all of these case notes scattered across the keyboard to the back computer. He's doing what he can. He says to, his, to the mugshot, I will save you. He's not... We've not seen Batman this haggard before, mm. and we've not seen him this determined on one individual before over what we would now know is a great length of time. So we feel with Batman and we want him and we want to root for him even stronger now and it's a unique thing to see we also get Batman as sort of fallible this is one of my big notes from episode 2 I personally love that but it's not something you really see much you see Batman bruised and beaten uh, taking a conveniently well paced montage to get over some back injury be it for Christopher Nolan's movie or the Night's End storyline in great, great comics. We see Batman emotionally and physically haggard in this episode. Physically, of course, from his first little tussle with Two-Face in the the lawyer's office. And he spends a lot of the rest of the episode limping around, clutching at his ribs, internally injured, but continuing on because he's Batman. But this whole case has taken a physical toll on him. But one of the things I mentioned before that I wanted to circle back to, he's emotionally haggard because of his dream, where we first catch up with him right at the beginning of the episode. And we see him trying to reach out and plead to a version of Harvey that his subconscious has mem- uh, remembered, and him falling and failing, and then he looks down to see the ghosts of his parents, and him them asking him the same question, why didn't you save us? Which is why I find it so ironic that the same voice actor does Thomas Wayne yes, and Harvey Dent. Absolutely. The whole imagery and, and, and pacing of that second nightmare sequence. I said the first episode opens with Harvey's nightmare. The second uh, opens with Bruce's. And every single piece of imagery, like you said, the Waynes at the end saying he didn't save us. Harvey saying he didn't save me. But even the things where Harvey's walking across a bridge... And that bridge is broken, showing us literally from the beginning that there's no way back for Harvey, um, no matter how much Bruce tries to save him. And it's a recurring theme for Two-Face throughout his history in the comics. All Jim Gordon and Batman want to do with Two-Face is save their friend. And they come close so many times. He seems cured so many times. He even has his face repaired a couple of times. But big bad Harv always resurfaces and I think that the symbolism of that bridge breaking and Harvey falling is telling us subconsciously that yeah try as he might this is one that Batman might not win and that characterization of Batman I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the second episode or possibly the end of the first one when Harvey's already changed and they said they can fix the physical scars Bruce, as Bruce, but in full Batman voice, says, I'm worried about the mental scars. Yeah, he says that at the end of episode one, in the doctor's office with the doctor, an unconscious Harvey, and his fiance, mm-hmm. which is a 
brave thing for Bruce Wayne to do, but then again, he also joked earlier on in the episode, if I know anything, it's how to keep a secret. Mm-hmm. Which I found really funny. It's hilarious. But do you not think that that is also... I mean, the fact that he is, like you mentioned earlier, so physically haggard and battered, because he was holding back. This is how we did This isn't some street criminal or someone who's been kidnapping children or boss hog holding a, a kidnapped homeless people at bay. This is one of his best friends and he takes punishment and gets kicked into a sturdy metal trolley and I think breaks a couple of ribs because he can't fight to his full ability against someone who, who who's his best friend. You talked about how determined Jim Gordon and Batman are to yeah. save Harvey Dent. That is because I think the three of them if they were all on the same page and if they were all on the same side, they could clean up Gotham in about a year. Well, we almost see it happen in the classic um, Long Halloween and Dark Victory, which end up, again, being the comic book reimagination of Two-Face's origin and probably still two of my favourite comic book stories of all time. And this was early days in Batman's career in that story too. So, yeah, Batman is physically and emotionally worn out by this battle. Not just the physical battle, but the battle of of losing his friend. And it's just a fantastic thing to see. But we also get those classic tropes, like I said, from the beginning of the second episode with twin goons operating at Two-Face's side. Um, 222, the the club name, the fact he steals $200,000. And while a lot of that is seen as corny as hell by some to me it's vintage Two-Face I love little nods of the classic characters history that way I think it's important to keep that side of the character because it's just how his madness has manifested it's just that obsession with one or the other light, dark, good, bad order, chaos he has to have two sides to one coin and I think that's important and you can see other interpretations of it where you get Aaron Eckhart, who completely ignores it, or you get Tommy Lee Jones, let's not go there. And <laughs> I think they handle it very well here, where it's just the way he does things, but he never justifies it. He never explains it. He just says, this is how we're doing it. Wait, no, that's not jewellery. We flip for it. And I love that he makes coin flips for every big decision. That's what makes him even more tragic and makes the viewer, the reader, even more hopeful for Harvey because there are always moments in virtually every Two-Face story you read or see where Harvey's personality does pop up and bubble up to the surface. With Grace, in virtually every scene where he even looks at her or thinks about her and the scene where he meets her, um, it gives the viewer, the reader, this hope that maybe he can be saved and that's part of the character's charm and and tragedy it shows that he's not completely gone and it's vindication for Batman's determination he could be saved there's times when you said that he has been saved for a time but Mm -hmm. there's just something so strong about his condition and that's okay we get to see that sure I don't think either halves of Harvey Dent can really exist without each other yep Absolutely. And his whole history with Thorn, again, it's brilliant because 
this is the guy he's wanted to take down. This is his target, and it's him that ends up being Harvey's downfall. He wants to take the criminal down. The criminal, in a more horrible, evil, and dastardly way, takes him down. And this is two vintage Batman villains from the 60s with Two-Face and 1977 with Rupert Thorne. And that joy and honour and love of the original source material just makes me, as a deep-seeded super nerd, very, very happy. But we both said it. Anyone could come into this show not knowing a thing and still come out having watched a fantastic set of stories. It's a very difficult balance to be able to put together, and that's one of the things that I think has made this interpretation of Batman, this animated series, so strong, because it's been true to all fans now and then, showing all sides of this diverse character and this diverse cast of characters around them. It's wonderful media that even 25 years later plus is still worth a rewatch. Is uh, Rupert Thorne a new character to you? Uh, I think so, personally, yeah. Like, this is one of the f- actual stories I remember clearer. Oh, I, good. I do remember this one a lot better. I remember the moment of him in that office saying, you're talking to the wrong Harvey. And I remember the poignant ending of the real coin going into the wishing well. And just little moments and the, the overall tone. I wasn't sure if they had captured... Harvey Dent. I don't know if I, I remembered that correctly enough, but I do remember this episode. I just remember it being as strong as I just rewatched. It's powerful TV. Really is. I mean, for me, the revelation has been that most of the episodes are far stronger now, watching them as a mature adult than they were even then, and they were powerful then. So definitely standing the test of time. No, no doubt about it. So, um, standout moments, favourite characters, favourite scenes, or anything that, again, may not have rung so true with you? Again, I think that this episode is so well-paced, and the characters are so well-realised, that the even though it's fairly well-contained in these two episodes, Harvey's slow descent into a darker mirror version of himself feels sincere. I would personally like just a scene and a half to have explored the coin more. I would have Mm. liked some explanation as to why that's such an important relic to him, how it got scuffed in that manner. If they just explained that it was something that got lightly scarred or burned or singed in the accident and him just grafting onto it, maybe like like in the Dark Knight with... Aaron Eckhart's still very strong performance. Something like that in the interim between the end of episode one and him going into where we see him now. Just a little something. Just to make this other important part of this character a little bit more clear. But I still cannot fault a very strong episode showing a very clear downward spiral and almost Greek tragedy to this character. Oh, absolutely. Greek tragedy is a really great way of putting it. I do agree. Um, that's something I did want to bring up myself, that that's the one thing. I mean, from episode one, you see him tossing the coin, so you know he's always had it. But how it got scarred and how he's decided to make that the focus of his 
psychosis. Um, yeah, a, a throwaway scene explaining it might have been nice. Obviously, long-term comic readers know from multiple histories that it was a lucky piece that got damaged and he kept as a keepsake all the way down to the 80s origin story where it was his father's, his abusive father's coin and his uh, dad used to toss it every time he wanted to decide whether he was going to give Harvey a beating or not. Um, but there's so many origin stories for that coin, almost as many as Harvey's had himself. But yeah, I agree that may have added a bit more clarity, but let's face it. Um, the coin toss is still used today to make fundamental decisions. And it's just the clearest way of a true left or right, yes or no, black or white, good or bad answer. So maybe that speaks for itself, but yeah, I think I would have liked a bit more of an explanation to that too. Uh, it's something I would have liked for my own curiosity, but it's still something I'm very easy to forgive based on the strength of the episode and yeah. the well-rounded and well-handled vision of this very important character to Batman. Very important to today, I'd say. Well, it's a classic story, and with mental health being such a important focus on today's society... Uh, multiple personality disorders, bipolar conditions, everything else to do with it. Um, to see a powerful man laid low by his own inner darkness and his friends struggling, no matter what, for years, decades, to try and save him, I think it's a good lesson for everybody that people need help and sometimes all it needs is just someone to listen to someone to talk to and that's something that I'm glad you brought circled back around to because right then in the beginning of the this two part story Bruce Wayne says to Harvey Dent oh you're going to, th to go and see some help that's good that is the kind of culture that people need oh, around absolutely. today when suffering with a mental illness and as difficult as it is to reach out and in this one piece of fiction where it didn't necessarily aid Harvey Dent, that's the tragedy of the story because a lot of times it does assist yes. people and it does make lives better and that's something that everyone needs to truly remember. It's very important and it's very nice to see a piece of media that old isn't the correct term but it still applies here, that a piece of media from back then that has the correct attitude to mental health showed yeah. still through and it's more mind-boggling still that like we keep saying this is 1992 this is a saturday morning kids tv show and the issues it deals with without being preachy without hammering you over the head with harley quinn's mallet over it is imparting vital lessons in morality in humanity and in just how to be a decent human being to everyone around you. Saving kids from a tyrant, saving homeless people from a, from a slaver, listening to people who need help. What better lessons are that? And it's not just superheroes beating people in tight, multicoloured costumes. And remember that the person who's uh, offered a hand in help was Bruce Wayne, the man. Yeah, absolutely. Who's suffered Untold. more horror than virtually any other character of his ilk. So, again, so much to draw from. Such a rich, textured, layered, brilliant piece of television. Faultless. Bordering on faultless. Excellent television. And great to see this juncture in the 
series handled so well. The first two part, the tenth episode and the eleventh episode. Yep, totally great focus. So next week will be our eleventh episode, but it'll be the twelfth episode of the I Am the Night podcast. And like all the DC Comics News Network podcasts, you can catch us on every major platform, be it Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get good podcasts. And DC Comics News and Dark Knight News are also available on the net and throughout social media on Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, and Twitter at DC Comics News and at DKNews.com. And Adam, where can our readers and listeners catch your work? I write very often for Dark Knight News and DC Comics News, reviewing multiple titles a a month. Uh, Stay stay tuned as of the recording of this episode. By now, the great great other DC TV outing, Titans, will have had its dramatic conclusion by the time you're hearing this. And my reviews are all there on darknightnews.com. Strong strong series so far. Very strong indeed. You can find me on Twitter at is it Tinkerer I Z Z E T Tinkerer. You can also find me on our Pride and Joy, our website, fantasticuniverses.com, where I write intermittently about tabletop gaming and the like. And you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes most Tuesday nights streaming Dungeons and Dragons. How about you, sir? Just Google search Steve J Ray on Google to get links to everything I've written for DC Comics News and for Dark Knight News, or just Google search Fantastic Universes for all the other juicy good stuff, or to follow me or chat to me about this show, about the DC Comics News podcast, or about my good buddy Seth Singleton's uh, show, The Spinner Rack, where he reviews his five top TC, DC books every week. Just tweet me at Stevo E-L underscore S-T-E-E. V-O. And that's about it from us. This has been the I Am The Night podcast. Adam Ray is the night. We are the night together. And Adam, what does everyone out there really need to do? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.